How many of you sense that there is an anointing here tonight? Okay, so there's a witness in the community, so I'm not just imagining things. So it's important that we stay in the anointing, and I'm going to just teach a little bit. Um, but as I'm moving in the, one of the gifts that God has given me, let's trust him that his anointing stays in this place. I think, I know this sounds weird, but I think there's an anointing in the front tonight. As well. I'm sure it's in the back. Seth, yeah, it's there too. Okay, Seth knows these things. But if at any stage you want to come and sit here in the front in the Lord's anointing, that's fine. You don't have to leave. And because there are new people here, and we don't normally dress this weird. Um, it's a spring celebration. It's like... It's not what you do to become part of the club, particularly these super confident people with um, skirts and hats and <laughs> vests and stuff. Um, the Celtic Christians, so a couple hundred years ago, they, um, I believe the anointing, I'll, t- I'll come back to the Celt- Celtic Christians now, I believe the anointing rests in us. I think you know, the Holy Spirit lives in us and there's anointing in our lives and on our lives. But sometimes it happens that an anointing comes into a place as many of you attested tonight. So we use language sometimes that, you know, heaven comes close to earth. The Celtic Christians used to talk about thin spaces, where the space between heaven and earth is thin. And I think we're in a thin space tonight. So just be, I'm just encouraging you to stay conscious of the Lord. The people in front, you can feel it, by the way. I can see it. Well, they're just really tired. Um, a little bit of both. We're in a thin space tonight. And I wonder if you can remember, uh, we've been in Mark chapter 8 for the last three weeks in our evening services. We spoke, it's the scripture in Mark 8.34 where Jesus says, Whoever wants to, this open invitation, whoever wants to, you must desire to be my disciple. To be a follower of Jesus, you need to do three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And we've spent some time talking about denying yourself. We spoke last Sunday, Pastor Gideon spoke about taking up your cross. And we want to focus tonight on the follow me part of what Jesus said. And as I've been reflecting in the last couple of weeks on those three aspects, and sometimes we talk about that it's progression. First it's deny, then it's take up your cross and follow me. I'm not sure that that's a linear progression. In other words, you don't master denying yourself, and then you go to step two, And then you figure out what it means to take up your cross, and then you go to step three. I think it's a circular progression. That as you're denying yourself, you take up your cross. And as you're following Jesus, you learn more about denying yourself. And this cycle just keeps running in our lives all the time. And so whether you're five or 50 plus, the cycle of deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus is always running in our lives. And it goes round and round and probably deeper as we respond in obedience uh, to God. Wonder what the first time, it, if you can remember, the first time you heard the words where Jesus said, follow me. If you can remember that far back for some of us in the room. For me, it was 33 years ago. I counted because I was prepared for the sermon, you see. 33 years ago, I grew up in church, so I always knew about following Jesus. I went to a good church. They taught about Jesus. But when I was about, I won't tell you old, 33 years ago, it was 15 people. Um, I was on a camp. Uh, it was a confirmation camp as part of the church that I was busy with. And there was this invitation made at the time to come follow Jesus. And it was so real for me that I remember this call to come follow him that I decided that no matter what I end up doing in my life, whether I become 
whatever career, an engineer, whatever it was I was thinking of the time of becoming, that I would spend my life learning to follow Jesus. I wonder if you can remember the first time you became aware of this idea, of this invitation from Jesus to come follow me. And many times through the years since then, that invitation has come into my life again. Will you follow me? Hmm. Now, you might remember that earlier tonight you sung the song, Wherever you lead, I will follow. Songs are very dangerous theological instruments. Because sometimes what God does is he gets us to sing things before we think about them. <laughs> and now you've sung it. Now you've said, wherever you lead, I will follow. Now you're in. One of the early teachers in the charismatic movement many, many years ago, even like before 33 years ago, much longer than that, his name was Bob Mumford. He said the following thing. He says that sometimes God watches you singing things and he just writes it down in the book. And he says, okay, got that one. And then a couple of days later when he calls you, he goes, remember when you were singing? Okay. And that's good because in our hearts we respond. And when we're in thin places like tonight, it's good to hear. It's heaven comes close and we hear what God is saying. And so as I was considering this topic of follow me, I did a little word search and I went through all the places in the Gospels where Jesus speaks about follow me or where people come to him and ask him, what does it mean to follow me? And there's quite a few. I was quite surprised. There's quite a bit of it. But I want to talk about two tonight, just quickly. The one we all know, and we read when Jesus, in Mark chapter 1 is one of the places we read it. It's in Matthew 4 and in Luke 5 or somewhere around there, where Jesus walks past Simon and Andrew at the boat, and he says, follow me. And then what do they do? They do this amazing thing. This is radical response to this invitation from Jesus. The, the, the way Mark writes it is just they dropped their nets and walked after Jesus. How irresponsible could they be? But I remember reading that scripture in high school and th- being quite intimidated by it. I don't know if you're intimidated by it, that, you know, Jesus just walks past you and says, follow me, and then you just got to abandon and move. Anyone ever, am I the only one? That's, there are three others, Okay. Because there's this, the way the gospel writers write it, they make it sound almost like Jesus was doing a cold call. You know what a cold call is, eh? It's like when those telemarketer people call you. They don't know you, they call you, and they just want to make your life better or ask you for money or something like that. There's no relationship, they're just in your space. And if we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's, it can, we can get this impression that when Jesus walks past the disciples, it's like a cold call. He just walks past and he goes... Follow me, and they go, yes, sir. Okay. But as, we, as scholars have studied this out, and also as we read then also the Gospel of John into the space, we see that probably before that incident actually happened, we we're six to eight months into Jesus' public ministry. And so since Jesus has started his public ministry, he was initially down in the south of Judea in the area of Jerusalem. And all the disciples that he calls, the ones like Simon and um, Andrew and Matthew that he does this with, where he walks past him, even Nathaniel, before he actually does this hard call, if I can put it that way, there, there's been substantial contact. They've been following him. They've been listening to his teachings. Some of them, Andrew, for example, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist points to Jesus, Andrew moves and he goes off to Jesus. And he go fetches his brother Simon. 
And so they, they had this experience of Jesus before they came to this point where Jesus just said, follow me. And so perhaps if you hear these words, come follow me, we don't need to be intimidated by them. Because when Jesus comes to you and he invites you into something, he would have prepared your heart for it. There would have been a process in your life. Because I'm convinced of one thing, that as each of us is sitting here tonight, God is already doing something in your life. And part of the art of following Jesus is to figure out what God is already doing and cooperate with that in our lives. So there's this radical response from the disciples. But we don't have to be scared because if Jesus ever comes to you and he says, leave your job or move on from that relationship or move from this town to that town or whatever radical thing he might ask you to do, he's the good father. He's the extraordinary king that we spoke about at the beginning of the term who will prepare our lives and our hearts so that we're ready to respond. It still takes that step of faith. It still takes the disciples had to respond to Jesus. And I believe tonight Jesus is calling all of us in this room and he's saying, come, follow. Maybe it's not the first time you've heard those words, but he's been preparing you or he will prepare you just to take that next step in following him. The other place I want to highlight in the Gospels where Jesus speaks about following him, and Pastor Louis I think shared a little bit about it this morning, um, his version's better, but I, I just want to highlight something on it for us tonight. It's where the rich young man comes to Jesus. It's in Mark chapter 10. If you want the reference, just read the whole chapter. It's good for you. Mark chapter 10. The rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to step into the kingdom of God? And Jesus has an interesting interaction with him. But he basically says to him, Well, obey all the commandments. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie do all the right things. And this must be quite a remarkable young man because he says, well, I've been doing those things since I was a boy. So his whole life, he's kept the rules. He's done all the right things. And then in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, Mark writes this in such an interesting way. So basically, he thought he was qualified because he had done all the right things. And I'll talk a little bit about that now. And the Gospel of Mark writes, and Jesus says, Mark writes about how Jesus, Jesus does this. Jesus, it says, Jesus looks at him and loves him. Very important. Jesus looks at him and loves him because he knows, Jesus knows what he's about to do. He looks at him and he loves him. And he says to the rich young man, go sell everything you have and then follow me. And then sadly, the rich young man goes away in distress because the Bible says he was very wealthy. In other words, he couldn't put that on the altar. It was something he couldn't lay down to follow Jesus. And this is an interesting story because what happens is this young man wants to follow Jesus. But first of all, there's a little bit of pride that's there. He thinks he has a couple of things going for him. He thinks he's got religious credentials. He's lived a good life. He's been a good person in maybe language that we would use today. And so he thinks that this gives him some credibility. This gives him some right to inherit eternal life, to step into the kingdom. And I don't think that was what Jesus wanted him to do. His credentials weren't enough. He also felt that his 
material, his wealth status, was something that was to his advantage. Whereas Jesus actually saw it, that it was the one thing that was preventing him from following him. And so tonight, fear should not stop us from taking that step when Jesus says follow him. Because we're scared that it's this cold, radical call from maybe not quite understanding the context of how the disciples were called. But also our pride should not keep us from stepping into what, God, what Jesus has for us. Now I don't know how the story with the rich young man ended. Maybe he went away and he had time to consider. But there is this fieriness in Jesus that when he says, follow me, and you can read a couple of examples of this in Luke chapter 9, one young guy says to Jesus, I will follow you, but let me go say goodbye to my family. And another one says, I will follow you, but let me just go and bury, go to a funeral, go and bury somebody, I think it was his father or something important. And Jesus says to him, no, you must, you must come now. Because when Jesus comes to us and says, follow me, he wants himself, that to be the priority of our lives. We cannot place other things in that space. And so we've spoken about denying ourselves, which means we say no in order to say yes. And the yes we say, the thing we're saying yes to is that we will follow him. 33 years ago, when I decided to follow Jesus, I would never have imagined that my life would be what it is. It's far, far better than I think I could have imagined it then. Because Jesus did say, he wants to come that you may have life and life in abundance. That doesn't mean necessarily materially rich. It speaks to the quality of life. It speaks to an abundant life. A life with better relationships than you could have imagined. More peace than you could have thought of. And a deeper joy that will carry you through the hardest times. It's not a life that is absent of trial. It's not a life that's absent of suffering. But it's an authentic, abundant life that you know that you never walk alone. So how do you follow Jesus? Basically, you respond to what God is already doing. And so sometimes when we say, Lord, tell me what to do, show me what to do, we put it like God's not doing anything and we have to initiate out of our own strength and our own selves to get to what God is doing. I actually don't think it works that way. I think God is already working in our lives to will and to work according to His good purpose for us. And maybe we don't recognize what God is doing, but he's been aligning things in your life. He's been putting you in contact with the right people. He brought you here tonight because he's already doing something in your life. And perhaps the art of being a follower of Jesus is to discern what God is already doing and then just step into that. You know that child's game, Follow My Leader? I don't know how you always played it. Sometimes you, you know, they make some poor child stand up in front of the class and then you all go to like distort yourself in embarrassing ways that I did last and I was on your life and I'm never doing it again. Okay. But I think it's a little bit more like we all walk, Jesus walks in front and when he goes there, I go there. And when he goes to the right, I go to the right. And when he goes to the left, it's another song we sing. I go to the left. Where is Jesus already working? And then I just cooperate with that. If Jesus is saying to you, follow me into more prayer, follow me into more scripture reading, follow me into more worship, Follow me into this career. Follow me and become a lawyer, a doctor, a banker. Follow me and go to this country. That's quite a step. Follow me. 
you follow him. I know the Bible speaks about going, but I believe in our going, we're actually following what Jesus has already purposed for us to do. And so tonight, as we can transition to our next song, we're going to worship a little bit more for a little while. Can we do new wine? Is it fine? We want to sing a song about new wine. It's a song about that God takes us through things and prepares us in a place where he brings new things out of us. New anointings, new ministries, changes season, makes things better. And I'd like to invite you to the whole room. I think God is here with us tonight. And if it's your first time here, they might be, feel a little strange, might not be quite used to it. But if you're comfortable to come to the front, I think there's a thin space in the front. But if you want to stay right, right where you are, let's just connect with Jesus. And remember that first time that he said, follow me. And maybe for some of you tonight, it's the first time Jesus is saying, follow me. Just take the step that you can, the step that is clear. Because he's here tonight to be worshipped, but also to love on us, to be with us, and to invite us into greater things, better things than we could ever have imagined. Mark chapter 8, that we've been in, says that whoever tries to hold on to his life will lose it, but whoever surrenders his life will gain it. If you try and hold on to your dreams and aspirations and the best possible thing you can imagine how your life could be, you might end up forfeiting your soul, the scripture says. But if you can follow him and you embrace the life that he has for you, that's when you really gain life. That's when you really learn what it means to live. On the base level, you are never alone.